Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast and with me today is Ian. Ian, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you very much, Dave. It's wonderful to have you. Uh, Can you uh, please tell us about your life, marriage, ministry and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Well, that'll probably take the whole podcast. Um, uh, This uh, summer, just to be recent, I'm in the process of recovering from a second round of prostate cancer. So I've had uh, radiation therapy and hormone therapy for that and I'm currently on a leave of absence from that church one, uh, but hopefully I'll be back to full strength by the fall, able to teach at the seminary again uh, and do that. Uh, our kids are grown now. We have six adult children, uh, and a house felt very empty, so we filled it with dogs. Uh, my wife breeds Cavalier and Charles Spaniels, so we have a flock of those. Uh, and uh, this summer I have two new books coming out, the one we're talking about today, The Whole Armor of God, uh, and then another book uh, called Jonah, Grace, the Sinners and Saints, which is a gospel-centered Bible study. Uh, I'm also uh, going to be uh, writing an adult Sunday school curriculum, which will start to appear in this fall. Uh, the first of the, uh, series of lessons will be on Genesis, and that's called The Quarterly, uh, through our uh, ARP denomination. And uh, yeah, in my spare time, I like the garden. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your prostate cancer. I'll definitely be praying for you. I, I also am a dog lover. Um, I have two two dogs and a, a yellow lab and a, um, it's a part wolf mastiff mix. He's a, he's a big dog. And that's exciting about your other book coming out. So thank you. Thank for you. Yes. Yeah. Well, Ian, can you tell us about your book, The Whole Armor of God, How Christ's Victory Strengthens Us for Spiritual Warfare? Why you wrote it and how do you hope it's received? Yeah, so it's an explanation of... Uh, Paul's description of the Christian armor in Ephesians 6. Uh, as a professor of Old Testament, I spent a lot of my time in some of the more difficult corners of the Bible, uh, Old Testament laws, sacrifices, prophets, I've uh, written books on Song of Songs. Uh, but as a preacher, sometimes I get to venture into the more familiar areas. And uh, But hopefully also at the same time casting a fresh set of eyes on them from and the perspective I get as, a, as a, a, an Old Testament scholar. Uh, and my premise in the book is that Paul's inspiration for the armor of God does not come from looking around him at uh, Roman legionaries that he perhaps changed chain between, but is rooted and grounded um, in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, so that's that's what I've been seeking to do in this book, uh, uh, to expound that passage in a way that people can understand, but also to show people uh, how the the roots of all of Paul's imagery uh, come from the Old Testament. Well, you said something that uh, some people will find just really fascinating, um, that it's not uh, from Rome that he's particularly interested or concerned with, but more from, um, from the Old Testament. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, the most obvious, obviously, uh, is the breastplate of righteousness or the helmet of salvation, which comes straight from uh, Isaiah 59, uh, where they're used to describe the divine warrior. Uh, the feet shod with the readiness uh, of the gospel uh, are the feet of the people who proclaim Messiah's arrival in Isaiah 15:27. Uh, um, God himself is the shield of faith, as he describes himself in Genesis 15. Uh, and the sword of the Spirit is the weapon that's wielded by 
by the promised servant in Isaiah 49 too. So all of these images uh, are, are rooted and grounded in uh, the Old Testament scriptures. That's really good. Uh, why why does that, why does the armor of God, you know, that we're, we're talking about in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, why does that matter for the Christian? Yeah, I think what, uh, what Paul is doing there is he's taking abstract concepts like faith, and uh, hope and, uh, and and tying them to concrete images, which really helps us to understand how these things uh, work. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think people, we can talk about faith and we can talk about peace and we can talk about righteousness, but uh, we don't always actually think about how those function in the Christian life. And I think what, what Paul does by tying them to these concrete metaphors is he invites us to think more concretely about how these function in our lives, but also to see how uh, God in Christ has worn this armor for us, first of all. I think that's such a good point because I think that, you know, we become so, as you know, and, and our listeners know most likely, that we become so obsessed that we, we have to put these things on. And, and as you just articulated so well, it's it's all because of grace that we can we can do that. Yeah, I think I, many people think of the Christian armor as the set of disciplines we have to perform in order to measure up as Christians. Yeah, we think it's our truth, our righteousness, our hope, our faith accounts. And it's certainly true that Christian armor does describe essential qualities for us to pursue passionately if we're going to stand firm under Satan's assault. But the Old Testament shows us that, that armor is, first and foremost, God's armor rather than ours. Uh, and the reason that's good news is because we, as Christians, are often weak, we're often fearful, we're often unprepared, uh, and yet because of Christ's victory, we will nonetheless ultimately stand. By faith, his righteousness becomes ours. In Christ, we have a shield of refuge in God who, who will not leave us or forsake us. Uh, so we're not uh, standing alone in enemy territory uh, uh, about to be picked off. Uh, we are uh, part of uh, an already victorious battalion. Yeah, you're, you're making me think of the Old Testament where, where God says, you know, that he is a warrior and he, he goes out into battle and we know that when Christ comes back, he, he, he's coming as a, as a warrior. Uh, the warrior king and, and you're just like making my brain go boom right here right now so that's, yeah. that's really well, cool I mean, it, it, it's a key theme in Isaiah you know Isaiah uh, talks about God coming not just as a, as a warrior to deliver his people from Babylon in a sense that's the easy part the more profound part is, is his triumph over his people's sin uh, which is a much more costly victory for the divine warrior uh, but it's clear in Isaiah you know the Lord looks around there's no one else who's going to do this uh, he is the one who has to come and fight and win uh, if his people are going to be redeemed. And uh, and that's precisely what he promises he's going to do. And that, of course, is precisely what he does for us in Christ. Amen. Uh, how do Christians today misunderstand spiritual warfare? What do we do about these misunderstandings? And how should we as Christians speak to them? Yeah, as soon as you start talking about spiritual warfare, some Christians are immediately going to think about some novels that they read uh, involving angels in hand-to-hand combat in scenes that sometimes seem more reminiscent of Star Wars than Bible. Um, and I think a, a negative result, another negative result of that is that some other Christians have a hard time thinking seriously about the whole idea of, of spiritual warfare. Uh, what I want to convince people of is, first of all, the reality of the conflict in which we're engaged. It's not as if there are some people who are called to be Christian soldiers while the rest of us can sit on the sidelines Christian civilians. We're all soldiers. The only question is, are we going to be prepared soldiers or not? Uh, it, it's, it's sort of like persuading people that they need to wear their seatbelts when they drive or 
or wear a cycle helmet when they go biking. Um, if you don't think that accident could ever happen to you, then you won't want to wear the safety gear. On the other hand, I don't want people to be so paralyzed by fear that they never want to drive a bike again. You know, like, I think we can either get so fixated on Satan that people are terrified of him or so blasé about the concept of Satan that, that we're not worried enough to, say, uh, to see the need for the Christian armor. Uh, and I think uh, what I'm trying to do in the book is to steer a course between those two where uh, Christians take seriously the, the fact that we live in this present darkness, as Paul has just said earlier in Ephesians 6. Uh, we live in a world of, of conflict and of challenge, uh, and uh, so we need to be prepared. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the, the world. You know, we have uh, the Spirit uh, in us, uh, and uh, uh, the Spirit is more powerful than all of the forces of darkness put together. That's really well said. Uh, I think one other thing is is you have, um, we're not going to name any specific things in, in mind here, but in some quarters of, of uh, the church, you know, spiritual warfare is it's uh, more of an emphasis, we'll say it that way, than than in others, and in many ways, I think that they uh, do a do a disservice to people that that follow that line of uh, of teaching. Not that it's not unimportant, as we've already talked about, but oftentimes it's like the be all end all, you know. So so uh, if if I don't take my armor up or whatever, as we've talked about, you know, because of grace and all those things, um, I'm gonna lose, and right. um, God's not gonna God's not gonna bless me. He's now now I'm actually naming things but he's not going to bless me he's not going to help me um i'm just going to be defeated and it's like you know uh th- that undercuts the whole argument of, of ephesians which you know as as you know we know is 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 all about grace what paul has done in the first three right. chapters is talk about that grace and then applied that grace you know the the indicative first what christ has done and then the imperative what he commands right we're saved by grace through faith in ephesians 2 8 9 for good works, good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in them. Uh, and and I, yeah, I think part of that is that God will make sure that we walk in those good works. It's not that God is sitting in heaven wondering, will those good works be done or not, depending on what, whether we have a good day or not with our armor. Uh, God's Spirit is at work with us, and He will accomplish His purposes in us and, and through us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, a, those, two, those two things sit right alongside Him, Paul. And he, and he doesn't see any tension between telling Christians you need to fight hard with all your might and telling Christians that the victory's already been won for you in Christ and we have rest and we have peace in that we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly uh, already experiencing uh, in some measure those blessings that, that are assuredly ours in Christ and, and he, he'll hit both notes at the same time yeah you remind me of something one of my friends said to me uh, I was going through a, having a difficult day this day and he said you're fighting a battle that, that's already been won, that's not yours and has already been won and, and you just articulated right. exactly what he Said. Exactly. Right. So, so thank you. As you worked on this book, were there were there things you either knew about or grew in your understanding of, or you maybe got a better insight into on this topic? If so, what were those insights? Well, it was interesting to see how some of, uh, of the Old Testament context actually clarified things that, that seemed to me, surprisingly, to puzzle New Testament commentators. Uh, for example, Paul's image of feet that are ready with the gospel of peace um, draws directly, I think, on Isaiah 52.7, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says in Zion, your God reigns. You know, Ephesians 6 and Isaiah 52 are the only passages in the Bible where you have this combination of feet, good news, and peace. Uh, and, and when you look at it against the Old Testament background, uh, that answers the ambiguity of Paul's words. You see, Paul's 
talks about feet that are shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, does he mean the readiness that is given to us by the gospel of peace, or the readiness to spread that good news that brings peace? Uh, and, and many translations and commentaries go for the former, the good news that gives us peace. But if, if Paul's thinking about Isaiah 52 and these heralds, then the readiness in his mind has to be the readiness to share that good news. Uh, and uh, you know, heralds need good news in order to enable them to travel far and fast to bring that message out to people who need to hear it. And Isaiah is imagining the watchman bursting into joyful song on the walls of Jerusalem as they hear this good news. Uh, and, uh, and so against that background, I think it's very clear that, that what Paul is talking about with these feet ready with the gospel of peace is feet that are ready to go and declare that gospel of peace uh, to a weary and uh, war-torn world. That is uh, really, really helpful. Really good. Um, what would you say to the Christian who struggles with feelings of worthlessness, despair, and discouragement if you could sit down with them over coffee. Well, first of all, I'd say thanks for the coffee. Uh, and, and, and then I'd say, I'd say thank you for trusting me enough that you're willing to share your feelings with me. You know, feelings are real. Sometimes feelings are very powerful. But at the end of the day, they, they, they're just feelings. And I would begin where Paul begins. You know, Paul doesn't tell us to put on the belt of our feelings. He tells us to put on the belt of truth. And my feelings talk to me all the time. Uh, and often I find I need to grab hold of some truth that enables me then to talk back to them. Uh, what's more, my feelings often seem obsessed with me and my feelings of worthlessness, uh, despair, my discouragement. And those feelings don't come from nowhere. There may be a very real cause in the person's life of those feelings that we may need to explore and talk about. But the truth is bigger than whatever it is, the mess I've made in my life, the, the sins I've committed, uh, and perhaps still enmeshed by the sins other people have committed against me. Uh, the gospel of peace tells me of a God who armed himself and went out to battle on my behalf, who won the victory once and for all over sin, over my sin, over your sin, uh, the warrior whose perfect righteousness can replace those filthy rags that I'm currently clad in, that I'm so despondent about, perhaps rightly, uh, a warrior who can make me right with God so that I can know him as my father, so I can hear him say, you are my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. And as I take hold of that truth by faith, uh, that truth shields me from the flaming darts of, yeah, but you're a loser, you're a sinner, you're broken, you're worthless. Uh, you know, Satan hurls those darts at me. I, I can agree with Satan. Say, you know, Satan, you're absolutely right, and, and if you want more things to hurt me, here, let me give you my list. But that's not what defines me. Uh, what defines me is the Son of God who came to earth and won the victory for me and claims me as his. And in that truth, I have a solid hope of salvation that shields uh, my head as well as my heart, giving me confidence to take up that fight once again, knowing that that victory is already been won for me by Christ. So however miserably I'm doing, and yeah, there are days when for all of us, I think, when the battle is not going well for us, uh, which is one of God's ways of reminding us that it's not about us, it's about Christ who has won that victory for us. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage the person to, every morning, to try to, to put on that belt of truth and remind themselves of what's true, regardless of how they feel, uh, and start with that foundation and then you know build from there you know, using the, the weapons that god has given them that's such a good answer um you know uh recently in the last like two or three weeks one day uh, about two or three weeks ago excuse me i got uh, rejected by a major publisher for a book project and i got rejected from my pastor position all in the same day mm. within a matter of oh. a few hours and i'm like my life sucks mm. and then satan's yeah. telling me 
hey, you really are worthless. Why don't you just quit? Yeah. Why don't you just be done mm-hmm. with it? And, um, you know, since I, I do, that's a weak spot for me. And, you know, God's God's helping me in that. And, you know, but anyway, I went on this walk in that evening. I just felt like I need to go on this walk. Just, I just felt prompted to do it. I just went and I... I ended up crying and pouring out my heart to the Lord, and I came back and hugged my wife, kissed kissed my wife goodnight, told her I love her, and went peacefully to sleep. And you know, I took that all that rejection to Jesus, who was, uh, he, as you just articulated, well, he he was thoroughly rejected and and despised by yeah. men. And you know, Isaiah fifty three, and you know, he he paid that penalty in my place and for my sin, mm. and he's given me new life in his in his name. He's filled me with his spirit. He's I'm, I'm fully loved and fully accepted. So so as you just said, you know, following Luther, you know, you know, give me your worst. You know, give me your worst. Right. You don't even know yeah. the real truth about it. You know. Um, yeah, about yeah. me and and so I was I was just in fact I was actually replaying that that uh, Luther mm. scene in my in my head as I was as I was preaching right. the gospel to myself and I think you're just mm-hmm. absolutely right just taking those truths and and pressing them into our hearts is just so so vital we as you said we have a new identity in Christ and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know we stand Paul says in in first Corinthians 15 in this grace you know we don't stand because of ourselves we don't stand because of our own strength we we stand because of grace and we and we continue on and and fight as you as you said so well because of grace and so it's all grace as, as Lloyd Jones says you know the Christian life um, at the beginning and the middle and at the end and everywhere in between is is it's all grace wondrous grace so you know thank God That's for right. grace so and it, and it's in those difficult moments that we really appreciate that you know in the day, days when life is going well when I'm going well when everybody is cheering cheering like my, my Christian walk I uh, that those are days when I I don't feel the need of grace as much uh, even though I do need it as much I don't feel it that need as much but when you know when when you hit the bottom and nobody seems interested in you or what you've done and uh, uh, and you're very aware of your own weakness your own sin your own brokenness that's when grace becomes really precious because you know that without that grace there's no way you could stand and uh, and, and I think that's, that's part of what God is up to uh, God is a good father he doesn't bring us into pain, painful experiences just for the heck of it uh, he brings us into those painful experiences because he knows that out of them will emerge with a deeper appreciation for grace yeah. and for the gospel that's, that's beautiful Amen. What is it? What is the place of the word for the Christian in spiritual warfare? Yeah, well, as we've just been saying, truth is foundational, uh, and where better to find truth than in the Word of God? Um, I mean, there are lots of true things out there, but uh, the Scriptures are the, uh, the foundation of uh, our understanding of truth. Uh, and the Word of God, of course, is also described as the sword of the Spirit, which is the only offensive weapon that is given to believers. And you can see how that works when you look at Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4. You know, three times in the wilderness, Satan tempts him. Satan even tries to use God's word against Jesus. And three times, Jesus responds with Scripture, neutralizing the threat and sending Satan packing. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, then Jesus is, of course, reenacting the experience of Israel in the wilderness. They were there for 40 years. Jesus was there for 40 days and 40 nights. But they're the same temptations that Israel faced and failed. And Jesus, the new Israel, comes and he faces the same temptation from Satan, and he triumphantly uh, passes each test because uh, at every turn he goes back to the Word of God and says, what has God said? Uh, and then responds to Satan accurately with what God said, which, of course, is what he failed to do in the garden. Uh, and he's trusting God, leaning on God's Word, uh, and that's what enables him 
to uh, to uh, overcome safe temptation. Um, also, for us, you know, the challenge for us is to learn how to use God's word like that uh, to know it well enough that we don't have to pick it off the shelf and go through a concordance and try to find that verse. Uh, we know it in our minds. We have it memorized, internalized, so that when you cut us, we bleed scripture. Uh, so when Satan tempts us, immediately we have uh, the right scripture to respond with. Um, you know, that's that's a, a powerful weapon uh, to defend ourselves against his assaults and to uh, to, to put him in his place, as it were. Um, again, that doesn't that's not a strength that comes from within us. Uh, the power is entirely in, in in the word itself. Yeah, that that's really good. You, you remind me of Hebrews four twelve. You know that that the word is. Uh, it's 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 able to pierce into the very heart and the marrow and the, and the same word used there in in the Greek as you know very well no doubt um, for that sword of the spirit that does this is that is that that same word is used in Revelation 19 speaking of Jesus uh, talking right. with the word coming out of his mouth and and slaying his his enemies so just to your point just that's the power of the word that's the power of our Savior uh, to to bring uh, you know not only dead people to new life but also that same word uh, destroys all of his enemies in, on the final day. Right. How can uh, how can pastors, ministry leaders, and, and Bible study teachers help God's people on this topic? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is to teach people to be prepared for conflict. Uh, I think a, a lot of people have sold the image of the Christian life uh, as, as a party, as a picnic. And having been told that that's what Christian life is, then it's not surprising that they have that expectation. And then they get into it and they discover actually Christian life is really, really hard. Uh, it's not a picnic, it's a battle. Uh, and if it were a picnic, then it would be appropriate to be dressed for a picnic. You know, for a picnic you wear t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops and you're fine. Uh, you don't wear that going into battle. You need your, your flag jacket and your helmet and uh, all of your your gear, um, and and I think a lot of people are, don't see the need for any kind of Christian armor because they don't believe that we're really engaged in a conflict. Uh, so first, I think we need to teach people that life is a conflict, that the normal Christian life uh, is is a struggle, um, and uh, and part of that is, is being honest ourselves. So we're not projecting this image of us as, uh, sailing through this victorious Christian life where we leap from tall building to tall building uh, above where other people live. You know, Christians struggle and Christians have challenges in their marriages, with their kids, uh, with the people they work with, uh, and, uh, and of course Satan is stirring all of that as, as much as he, as, as he can, as much as the Lord permits him to. Um, but life is a struggle, which therefore we need to be equipped for. And then secondly, we need to teach him accurately what the armor is. Um, you know, there's a dress-up set of Christian armor you could buy online that uh, its, it's list of, of, of uh, elements contains, quote, the shin guards of the preparation of the gospel of peace. I mean, really? The shin guards of the preparation of the gospel of peace? I, I, I know that one-size-fits-all sandals are probably difficult to manufacture, but can we get it right, please? Um, and, and sometimes when you listen to, uh, to teaching, you know, you people say things that they may sound good, but they're, they're not actually what the Bible says about righteousness, about hope, about peace. Um, we need to be correct. We need to get it right when we're handling the Word of God. Uh, and then third, as teachers, we need to apply that message in a gospel-centered way that uh, that encourages people, that shows them Jesus as the ultimate Christian soldier, and doesn't leave people feeling like you've just loaded one more brick into their backpack uh, that they're carrying through life. Uh, it was a, a friend of mine had that phrase about certain kinds of preaching. Oh, that's another brick of the 
the backpack so you know you go to church with knowing you have five problems and leave knowing you have ten problems uh so glad you've gone to church that week um we, we need to preach people to people the encouraging good news of the gospel that we have a savior who has won the victory for us, who gives us his perfect righteousness, uh, who is with us in the midst of that battle, and who will not let us go. That's a really, really very, very helpful answer. Um, are there particular books on spiritual warfare besides your own that you like, enjoy, and recommend to others? Well, the classic on the subject is uh, the old book by David Powelson called Power Encounter. Uh, it's out of print, unfortunately, but you, you can still find it used uh, online, I think. And I, I, yeah, it's uh, like everything David Powelson wrote. It's so helpful, uh, so pastoral, so wise. So yeah, that's that would be my top recommendation. Yeah, that's really good. I I also like uh, well, there's obviously Pilgrim's Progress and. Uh, Pre- mm-hmm. Precious Remedies Against Satan uh, Devices by Thomas Brooks, and I'm sure we could go on and on with... with uh, well, yeah, we should should perhaps mention William Gurnall's Christian and Complete Armor, which is a massive, uh, uh, tiny print volume written by the, by the Puritan uh, on this subject that is about 20 times as long as my book and covers anything and everything you, you would like to know about the spiritual life. Um, it, it, that's another spiritual classic, but and, and it's also available in a bridge form with more modernized English for people who might find uh, the original a bit daunting. Uh, so that would be another book to recommend. Yeah, that, that's a good recommendation. I I agree. Um, how do uh, how do ministry leaders determine if someone is under a spiritual attack and and help them to address the attack with the Word of God? Well, are they breathing? I mean, if they're breathing, they're under spiritual attack. Um, I mean, certainly there are seasons of greater and lesser intensity of that attack, uh, and not everything bad that happens in your life is directly caused by the devil or his minions. But Christian warfare is constant. You know, how often do we need faith and truth and hope? and prayer and so on, always. And that's Paul's point. Uh, that's why we need to be praying always in all kinds of situations, uh, because the Christian life is a life of uh, spiritual warfare, which means that we're regularly under spiritual attack. So I would say uh, it's not a matter of, of deciding is somebody under spiritual attack or not. Uh, it's a matter of how do I come alongside this person, uh, perhaps in the midst of this intensity of the attack, what, what uh, piece of the Christian armor do they most need in this situation uh, in order to perform the, the kind of emergency triage uh, that's necessary. Uh, of course, the thing about armor is you want to get used to it when you're not under the intensity of the attack. That's why soldiers do drills. Uh, and uh, we need to be learning how to use the Christian armor at the times when life is not at its most intense, but when it does come to its most intense uh, point, uh, we're, we're relying on habits that we formed in easier times. Yeah, that's really good counsel. Um, Ian, you know, there's a lot that we could really dive into on this topic, no doubt about it, and we've, we've touched on some of the biggest, I think, issues. But as we wrap up this conversation, can you give us a few takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, bottom line, Paul's description of the armor of God is rooted in the Old Testament, uh, where it's God who's wearing the armor for his people. And Christ has won the victory for us through his faithfulness, and he now equips us with what we need to endure faithfully in the midst of that long war that surrounds us in this world. So we need to recognize the need to be properly dressed, uh, to study that armor, to, to learn the different pieces and, and how to use them, and give thanks for Christ and his, his triumph in our place. That's really helpful. Um, where can people go to learn more about your, your work? Yeah, you can find my books at uh, the Westminster Bookstore. 
www.wcsbooks.com as well as on Amazon. Uh, and uh, if you want to look at my sermons, that can be found at ChristARP.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for your time today and all the wonderful work that you're doing for the glory of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I very much appreciate it and pray Christ's richest blessings on you, brother. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.